Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, everybody. Quick disclaimer, like if you hear like a beastly dog behind me. It's Biggie, and I'm watching him for my parents this week. So, yeah, and I just, like, took him to go, like, I threw the ball for him a bunch of times, and it was a really bad idea because, like, there's likely going to be, like, a beastly, like, breathing noise in the background. <laughs> so I didn't think that went through, but, yeah, I promise I'm not, like, getting, about to get murdered. Like, it's just, it's just Biggie panting, but, and he'll probably bark at some point. But, you know, he's getting his exercise. I'm so proud of him. I know. He's very athletic, actually, for his size. He's, like, over 120 pounds and, you know, can can hang with the best of them. He's pretty fast. He's faster than me. Oh, my God. And you're, like, Speedy Gonzalez. Uh, not really. You're, like, a freaking D1 athlete. Yeah, but I was never very fast, but whatever. But, wait, I have, like, a really dumb confession. So, you know how, like, I always mess up? like mess up phrases like I'm so close like it's like one word off and I'm like always like literally always if you guys don't know anything about Sam it's the fact that she like all those like weird phases you'd hear like a six-year-old say like Sam attempts to say them but like always misses the mark by like a word it's so close yet so far I mean I always edit those parts out but like maybe I should keep them in do you want me to keep in Honestly, like if you guys find it entertaining, by all means. So I was texting one of my good friends and he is studying for like this finance exam. Like one of those like classic like COVID situations where the test keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. So he's like super frustrated. And he was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till May, I'll be free. And for some reason I was like, oh my gosh, what is that song from middle school that was like a Kanye song that's stuck in my head now? It's like Freedom Walks. And he was like, Freedom Walks? You mean Jesus box? Like, is this a non-denominational version of a Kanye song? What is wrong with you? So many things. So many, like, how much time do you have? But, yeah, so TikTok happened last week. And we got a lot of amazing feedback from our TikTok about our show, which I think... To start, like, that was the best part, was the fact it wasn't, like, us just, like, doing a little, like, TikTok dance, a funny trend. Like, it was us just talking about our show and what we do. And everyone was, like, we've been looking for this show. Subscribing now. Like, all of the comments are so amazing and exciting. And so we have a lot of new people here. And that's really exciting. And so we definitely want to welcome everyone and talk about who we are, just in case you didn't know. 
Sam, who are you? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Well, that feels like a philosophical or existential. Oh my God. An existential. <laughs> existential. I can't say that word. Can you tell I'm like really bad in like orientation? No, me neither. I was always like, can you just not? I would rather nobody know my name than me have to introduce myself in a circle. Like, please, no. But I think that's like probably a good segue as to how on earth did we end up here? So basically in 2018, which feels like centuries ago, I kind of came to this conclusion about two different things that were going on in my head. One, that none of my friends were registered to vote, which shocked me. Like, I think I went into absolute shock. But you're not alone. I think a lot of people listening to this show have similar situations with their friends. I had similar situations with my friends. So that's the whole point though, right? Is like everyone's friends, our age, just we're not registered, we're not engaged, right? Totally. And it was at this midterm election that really had the potential to make such an impact. And it did at the end of the day. But kind of in conjunction with that, I had had this idea in the back of my head regarding being involved in politics. I'd been a gov major back in the day, you know, when dinosaurs were on this earth. And I wanted to still get involved with the whole realm of politics, even though that's not where my career took me. And every time I tried to sort of get involved with an organization or whatnot, it just didn't feel like the right fit. Like it felt like it was super intimidating and super scary and that it just wasn't really approachable. And you also had to really know what you thought of something before you even walked in the room. And I was still learning, like everyone is still learning in life. And so those things sort of came to a head and I, I realized, okay, what can we do with this? So what we did is we created bespoke events that paired politics with the events and activities that you do on the day to day. So you wanna go to Brooklyn and do rooftop yoga? Awesome, well now you get to do that and you also get to hear from a political leader, a candidate, an elected official whoever it may be that can really give the basics. So we'll get into how we structure our show, but what you should know is that we're overall looking to rebrand politics and make sure that it's super approachable. And that's what we were really trying to drive home with those events, not only making it approachable, but we wanted to also talk about all of those stupid questions or quote unquote stupid questions that everyone has, right? So what is gerrymandering? It's like a go-to example because it's confusing. And if you hadn't been in politics before, why would you know that, right? Or how do I register to vote? We talk about all of the basics at these events. And now, since we are in the era of COVID, ugh, we are on hold with events, but of course we're here. And so how we got here, we have passed the Maddie because like in our like in our romantic journey here, this is where Maddie comes in. Yeah, it's very romantic. And if you've dated in the past decade, you know what it's like to slide into someone's DMs or vice versa. And I did that with Sam because she first followed me on Instagram from the Girl in the Gov account. I saw what she was doing. I said, wow, I love this. I love your mission. We connected. I slid in the DMs and basically told, like, told her how much I love what she's doing. And you know, she told me that COVID, everything's on hold. And so I asked her if she thought about doing a podcast and we hopped on the phone for an hour and decided two strangers on the opposite sides of the country to do a podcast. And here we are five months in and just went viral and have so many new faces here. And we're just so excited to see what's to come. We just want to give this space to let everyone know that we 
um, want to keep like an open pathway of communication with you all so that if you have feedback, we would love to hear it. If you have questions you want to hear on the show or issues you need covered, DM us. We also have an email ready for you guys if you want to submit anything via email. It's info at girlinthegov.com. And yeah, we just want to like hear what you guys want more of, what you want less of, segment ideas, again, like political questions, and just all all the works about this show and politics and what you want from it. Because this is, ultimately, we're doing this for, for you. And we want to be your liaison with the political world. Ooh, liaison. <laughs> just... Yes. Again, like get you guys all engaged in the way you want to be because I think that was the coolest part too of like the TikTok just to see how many people really want to be engaged. But like like our TikTok said, it's just so intentional that they make it boring. They make it hard to understand. They make resources hard to find. And so we, again, want to like be that translator for you all and make sure you have everything you need to be an engaged and equipped and informed citizen of this country and also have fun doing it. And that's the most important part too for us. Just like we know it can be boring. We know it can be intimidating and like nasty and taboo. And we are rebranding that and shifting things so that young people have a space to come and understand the political world as well. So again, please slide into our DMs, our emails, ask us questions, give us feedback. We want to hear from you. So yeah. I will say this. I just want to give a little disclaimer, you know, a little like asterisk moment is we are left-leaning in all transparency. So while we do try and hold both sides accountable and we are not afraid to do that, our perspectives are, are on the left side of things. So just keep that in mind. We, you know, do, of course, looking at media with a critical eye and looking at various sources and doing, you know, a good compare analysis to get both sides of the story. But from us, you will be getting a little bit more of that liberal perspective. So we don't want you to go into the show thinking that we are unbiased or that we're straight down the middle, like an arrow. It's just not the case. So we would be leading you astray if we didn't tell you that. Someone asked if it's cute. And I said, yeah, it's cute and wrapped in pink. Thank you. Or like whatever color you like, like whatever color makes your day. We just also wanted to just give a little, you know, info on just the way like episodes are structured too. And again, like if anyone has feedback or wants more or less of something, let us know. But basically we like to obviously come on and do a little intro, just Sam and I, and then we introduce our guest. We've had just amazing, amazing guests and they come on to just provide expertise on different political topics and again answer those quote-unquote stupid questions for everyone because we all have them except like no question is stupid always remember that so keep sliding in with our with those questions and then we always end with top stories of the week so we'll make sure everyone's you know versed on what's going on you know that week and the top news stories and everything you need to know about them and we'll break them down and explain different political processes that go with them so everyone is just again informed but do you want to introduce our guest yes okay you guys are gonna be obsessed literally we love her oh my god i'm so excited epic epic honestly one of my favorite conversations i mean we love all of our guests obviously so we have state representative medina wilson anton who is a representative for the 26th district in delaware she is so awesome she is so 
representative of what we need in politics, which is more young people. She is 27 years young, so hell yeah. But without further ado, let's get into it. And here is Representative Wilson Anton. All right, guys, quick commercial break before we get into it with our amazing guest today. We want to tell you about Soli Sisterhood. So Soli Sisterhood is a feminist-based shop that is all about hashtag strength in sisterhood. They believe as women, it is our duty to build each other up and clap for our sisters. So to them, you aren't just a customer, you are more than a friend, and to them, you are a sister, which is why they are offering an exclusive 15% off to Girl on the Gov the podcast listeners with code GIRLONTHEGOV15. Soli Sisterhood has also just launched subscription boxes. So there are two options, one including the manifestation box, which is stocked with a tea, mug, notepad, banner, and more. Orders will begin to be taken on March 17th, so be sure to mark your calendars and head over to solelysisterhood.com to shop. Again, that's code GIRLONTHEGOV15 for 15% off your purchase. Go check them out, you guys. We just celebrated International Women's Day. We're in Women's History Month, so take all that inspiration and go check out Soli Sisterhood. They have some really cute new teas, all in the theme of sisterhood and women and International Women's Day and all the amazing, inspiring women we celebrated the other day. So go check them out. Again, that's solelysisterhood.com and use code GIRLONTHEGOV15 for 15% off your purchase. So I was always interested in politics, culture, that kind of stuff. And so my my dream job was to be an interpreter. And so in high school, I studied a bunch of languages. When I got to college, that was still my plan. And I quickly realized that I was not going to build a fluency where I could compete with native speakers in the languages that I was studying. And so I thought, okay, well, how about I bring in poli-sci, learn a little bit more about politics, not just the languages. Because what I wanted to do was be an interpreter at the UN. And I remember having this conversation with my father actually about that, you know, career goal. And he was like, why do you want to be a diplomat? Why don't you or interpret for diplomats? Why don't you be the diplomat? And I hadn't really thought about it until he said that. And so, you know, I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And then as I was a student in college, I saw I think it was senior year, I saw an internship come across my inbox. That was a paid internship, which were few and far between. And so I'm like, hmm, okay, well, I should apply for this because I might not see another opportunity like that. And the internship was working in our state government as the legislative fellow. So I got to, in that role, attend committee hearings in the Delaware House of Representatives and do research on policy areas. And I really learned a lot about what local government can do and the impact that it has on our lives and our communities and kind of switched focus from looking at global politics and international relations to more local politics. And I'll say when you work for the government, you get to see all of the people that are in it, all of them, not just, you know, what you see when you read the newspaper. And I think seeing the process up close kind of demystified it for me and showed me that anybody can be a legislator. And not just someone who's super smart or they're, you know, that there's so much more, more with it than we are. And realizing that kind of got me interested in running myself and, you know, my frustrations with how things weren't changing instead of just complaining on Facebook and typing away on Twitter, I thought I'd give it a shot and try to change it myself. Yeah, I, I love, love that. that. 
We both love it. We love it so much. <laughs> and apparently we're like echoes for each other. It's our new thing. I love the idea of, okay, here's a problem. Let's solve it. Like, let's stop complaining and like actually like hop in. And like that also really connects with our story at Girl on the Gov. So I heart that times a million. And also, wow. Okay. This interpreter thing. So cool. Yeah. So cool. Can you please teach us some other languages? I beg of you. Oh, so <laughs> I mean, how hard is that? Right. I never got to interpret per se, right? So like the closest I got to that was as a tour guide at my university. There were times where I would translate a tour for like family members that didn't speak English. But yeah, my fluency is... So how many languages? So I've studied Arabic, French, Spanish, and Chinese. So four plus oh, wow. English, which I'm pretty good in English. I think my fluency is pretty good, right? You're pretty, you're pretty good, I think. <laughs> yeah, but that's always been like a, a, a passion of mine. So you know, sometimes I like to watch movies in different languages and just try to figure out how much I can understand. And I've, I've like studied on the side, like with like Duolingo and stuff like Turkish, but I just, I love languages and I love being able to talk to someone in their native tongue. And it shows a lot of, I think people really find it to be a way of showing that you care, you know, like that you went the extra step to just try to communicate with them. It means a lot. So yeah. Communication is everything. We always talk about that here too. I, I love that. Well, you know, we have a lot of younger listeners too that are just curious about the actual roles available in politics. I mean, you worked as this legislative aide. And so like, what what did that role entail? And like, I guess, how did it set you up for this future career of yours too? Definitely, yeah. So like I mentioned, I was a legislative fellow, which is a unique program in Delaware where college students are actually the ones who staff committees. So they're, they work for six months out of the year and they take minutes during the, the committee meetings. They make the copies of all the legislation that's gonna be discussed, pass it out. So I got to meet all the legislators in the house. And then my second year as a fellow, I learned who was in the Senate. And so that position got me, you know, it put faces to names. I was able to build relationships with people that worked there who are now my colleagues. And I got to see the political process up close so i saw how a bill becomes a law the longer version not the this the song and yeah. you know, cartoon schoolhouse rock right but i got to see like it actually happened which was pretty cool then as a legislative aide my role was to be the main contact with the community so when someone was dealing with their water bill was was like too high so it got shut off so they're dealing with that how do they get out of that problem i would connect them with resources and really be you know, in close contact with the community and helping them solve the issues that they were dealing with. And that experience, you know, gave me like a heightened awareness of what was going on in the community. And in that role, I was actually working for my predecessor who I, I beat in a primary last year. Oh my God, that is some tea. Yeah, that is some tea for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to come back to that. But so I, I grew up where I'm representing. This is like my hometown area. And I was working for my hometown's rep. So I got to hear literally from my neighbors and community members, what were the issues that were important to them? And, you know, sometimes when you get calls, you connect someone with the resource. But after you get a couple calls like that, you start to notice patterns and trends. And so that was really, you know, educational for me because I was able to see, oh, okay, the main problem that I get from this district has to do with electric bills. And maybe we can do something about helping people before the bill gets out of hand. And I, as a legislative aide, I worked for multiple reps. So I was able to kind of compare different areas in Delaware, what the main problem was there, 
and kind of, you know, start thinking about ways to fix those problems. Yeah. I mean, that's such an important political lesson, too. I feel like every elected official should have to be a legislative aide, honestly, before it should be a prerequisite because that's such that's the most important part is being able to talk with your community and your constituency and see those trends of like what people need and go and get it done. And, you know, I think across the board, across the country, more elected officials need to do stuff like that and be representative of their constituency in that way. So what a great, you know, little lesson there. I love that. (laughs) And I also just feel like there's a lot of mystery of like, what is a legislative aide? Like, what are all those like other roles that people like know of like, this is the congressperson, this is the senator, whatever. But there's so many important behind the scenes roles that like make everything work. And it's like, we don't know like what those are, like how they function or like even you're interested in politics, maybe like being the main stage or main scene is like not for you. Like there are like all these different roles and spots that you can really jump into. So I think like that is so cool to know that background. But I also do know that on your resume that you're a policy analyst at the Biden Institute. So can you give us a little bit of the scoop there? Like what was that role? Like what's the deal? Yeah, so I still work at the Institute that's my day job and I was just I was on a call for my job earlier and I was trying to figure out what do I call being a legislator is that my night job (laughs) (laughs) what's the parallel to that but so I work as a policy analyst at the University of Delaware's Biden Institute and I've been there now for about two and a half years ish I love it it's it's a fun place to work I think I'm not that old I'm pretty young still I'm just 27 but I feel like it keeps you young kind of like working with college students be and like I mean being in college and being on a university campus is just fun it it brings you energy there's always something happening so I definitely love working at the university it's also a 10 minute drive from home for me which is great but because of COVID I've been working from home now for about a year the Biden Institute was founded after then Vice President uh, Biden now President Biden retired from office we thought and it's and it's it's founded on a lot of the policies that were important to him so we do work focused on preventing gender-based violence supporting military and veterans at UD but also in the greater Delaware community environmental justice is a big one healthcare supporting the middle class so all those all those policy areas that were really important to him pre getting back into politics were kind of where we started and like the big responsibility for me and my role is our one credit classes so we offer courses open to all students at the university regardless of major where we bring in practitioners and students are able to get you know just hear from them hear their expertise learn about how they got to where they are in their roles in politics policy making and we also host a lot of events and the events are actually open to all so you can because of covid you can just log into our Zoom. If you're interested in learning more about our events, check us out Biden Institute at the University of Delaware's website, and you can get on our email list. We've brought in people like Ana Navarro, who's a commentator on The View. Who else? If my coworker Perry was here, he'd have him like ready to go. But big names. But we basically, we do a lot of events to try to get UD students that are interested in going into politics or policymaking exposure, basically, to people that are in the world of politics and policymaking. And it's, it's really exciting work. Yeah, totally. I, I love that. I didn't know you have this day job and your night job, but wow. I mean, the people we have on this show, we always talk about, we're like, when do you sleep? I don't know. <laughs> but 
<laughs> I love it. But we do want to get into some very important topics too that we know you're an advocate for. We want to start by talking about affordable housing. We want to like dive in and learn more about it. And so what are just some of the core reasons that affordable housing is dwindling and why that is a key issue right now? Ooh, she said you want to dive into it and learn more about it. So do I. <laughs> so like a big part of being a legislator, especially a new legislator, is learning about lots of different policy areas. So one thing that I will not ever say is that I'm an expert on any of these things. I got into it because I was passionate about fixing problems that I saw. I definitely have ideas on solutions for a lot of them, but I'm also spending time talking to advocates in the community and nonprofits that have been working on these things to learn, okay, well, what are the problems? What are the barriers? I love that philosophy, by the way. Like, I think that's also something that needs to be enacted amongst elected officials everywhere. It's like, it's okay if you don't know the answer, like you're human, be a human. Oh, girl. But use your resources. So many people. (laughs) Right? And like sit down with a pen and paper and talk to people and figure out what needs to get done and go and use resources to figure it out. Like, I love that philosophy. I think that needs to be more of the norm. Like these politicians thinking they have to know all the answers. It's just, just be real. You know, I love that. That is one thing that I will always be is real. So, Okay, so let's talk about housing. So one of the barriers we know is people's economic resources, right? So if you're working in Delaware, for example, I'm not sure where you guys are, but California, Delaware, New York, you, so. Woo, oh yeah, so your housing is okay. <laughs> you may have us beat there. Yeah, so in all of our states, the minimum wage is not enough. If, you, if you're working full-time at a minimum wage job, you can't afford a one-bedroom apartment. And... So when I think about it, part of it is, okay, we need to raise the minimum wage that it's on pace with that. And that's, that's a national issue, not just in our states. What else? We also have an issue in my state specifically where if you qualify for Section 8, so you're able to get a voucher to help pay for your housing because you, have, you don't have enough money to pay for it without that. We have people that qualify for that voucher but can't find anywhere to use it because a lot of landlords discriminate against people who have those vouchers. And so that's that's like a sub part of the problem, right, where people can't find affordable housing, even though they're working and people who are working but don't have enough money to buy even the cheapest things that are available can't find anyone who will take their money, basically. And so one of the things that I've been working on with some other legislators more senior to me is removing that discrimination that's legal in Delaware, where you're allowed to, you can't discriminate against someone based on their race or um, their religion and things like that, but we do have it in law where you can discriminate against them if their money comes from a certain source. And so getting rid of that, we're hoping will bring more people off those waiting lists and into stable housing. There's also issues at the county level for Delaware. So a lot of zoning happens at the county level across the country, but I know that's the case in my state at least. And so if you have people on your county council or maybe your borough or your locality's um, council that vote against every project that's going to bring affordable housing because they don't want it in their backyard. There's that whole movement, the not in my backyard, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. That's the biggest problem here for sure. That's, that's a major problem because there's a shortage of affordable housing. And so the way to fix a shortage is to build more. But if none of those projects get approved by our local governments, then we're not going to be able to fix that problem. So part of what I've been a part of locally is getting more people of like mind elected. So I was part of a class of 
I guess you could say six people that were endorsed by the Working Families Party. In addition to being like, we're all Democrats, we're all on the Democratic Party line, but we all ran to the left of the folks that were in office before us. And we're trying to expand that movement beyond just the legislature and city council, but also the county council. Because a lot of the things that we as progressives wanna see, we can't actually make happen in our roles. And that's something I'd say is really important to your listeners is what different levels of government do varies. So I would say, look up your where you live, check out if you have a city council, if you have a borough or county council and what is in their purview. And depending on what your passions are, maybe, you know, I have a friend who's really into land use. And so we're like, all right, well, you need to run for county council. <laughs> I don't find that interesting. Uh, I know it's important work, but that's for you. You take that on. I'm going to run for something else. <laughs> Divide and conquer. It's that's fine. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's a great, yeah, like base knowledge about affordable housing. Let's dive into then. I have a stupid question because we want to talk about evictions and all of that, which I think is especially pertinent due to the pandemic and everything happening right now. And so for our first, I have a stupid question. No such thing. And right. That's what everyone says. We love that. What does it mean when a tenant is evicted and what usually are the causes for eviction? Good question. So I'll, I will attempt to answer that. I would, you know, caution the listeners to do your own research as well, because I'm not an expert on this. But basically to be evicted is to be kicked out of wherever you're living. So people can get evicted for not paying the rent for a certain period of time or for if, if it's like a community that has community rules, like guidelines where you're renting, you could get kicked out for basically not not fitting with the community's rules. A lot of people, they get they get evicted because they can't keep up with the rent or they're choosing not to pay it. The main the, the main problem with you know, this issue for the country right now is that so many people lost their jobs, they can't afford to pay their rent. Because so many people in the U.S. and I'm sure in all of our states, they live paycheck to paycheck, you know, like they're, they're right on the edge of, of being evicted or being laid on bills if anything out of the ordinary happens. So one of the things that actually came up locally here when it comes to evictions is in some places in the country, you can be evicted without notice, like like a month's notice or a week's notice. Some places you can be, you can get an eviction notice basically where they're saying you're going to be kicked out at this certain time. So get all of your stuff out or we'll put it out. And so in some places when that happens, you don't have anybody who can represent you because, you know, a lot of times you don't have the money. If you're, if you can't pay your rent, you probably can't pay a lawyer to represent you in court. But what some community-based organizations have found is that when a tenant is facing eviction and has the resources to have someone represent them in court, they almost always don't get evicted. So a lot of times the evictions are not what we'd call it like a just eviction. It's, you know, I want to get somebody else in here who can pay more because some, sometimes, you know, maybe you're paying $1,200 a month and they're like, well, if I get somebody else in, I'll give them a new lease and I'll charge them 1600 So, you know, that kind of stuff can be solved when there's someone in court representing the person, the tenant. So something that we're talking about doing here is making it so that maybe if you hit a certain, you know, if you're below a certain income threshold, you'll automatically get representation because we're recognizing that that can really be the, it can really make or break someone's ability to stay housed. And 
housing, as we know, it's incredibly important, especially during a pandemic, especially during winter. We just don't want anybody homeless in general, but we definitely want to prevent more people from getting homeless. Right. And I feel like that end of the issue seems super preventable too. And it's like, why not create another resource that can actually like help that? And I think another one that's on our list as a question as well is the Tenants' Bill of Rights. So could you explain sort of what that is and maybe how that relates to this possible policy solution? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. So if you think about our Bill of Rights, right, we have there's the first 10 that outline what every American's rights are and that they're not to be messed with, basically. So the idea is the same. We have tenants in our state and their rights should be outlined and they should be prevalent and not, it shouldn't be hard to understand because right now, <laughs> I mean, I could tell you my, I have, I struggle sometimes trying to understand, okay, what does this bill do? Is this a good thing? So just really the idea behind it was to reaffirm and protect the rights of tenants. So in the situations we talked about just now with eviction and things like that, right? It should be a right that a tenant is told in advance that they're going to be evicted and has time to defend themselves in court so that they're not thrown out on the street. Simple things like that. And, you know, so the idea is basically just protecting tenants from arbitrary actions of landlords. I love that as a New Yorker who has dealt with many a sketchy landlord. Let me tell you, (laughs) we need that. Like the disappearing landlords, supers, etc. I could go on a litany, but I won't. Now that we've kind of covered the waterfront of affordable housing, a related issue in a lot of ways is the Green New Deal and all of the related legislation and concepts there. So for listeners that like have heard this term, they're like, they've heard it on the news, they've read it in a newspaper, or they've heard like their conservative uncle be like, oh no, the Green New Deal. <laughs> what is it? Like, what's like the general gist of like what its purpose is? Okay, that's that's a good question. So the, the Green New Deal is a piece of legislation that was introduced by, I believe it's sponsored by AOC, one of my faves, who I should have talked about earlier as being an inspiration. And Senator Ed Markey was a big proponent of it. So the reason why it's called the Green New Deal, it's focused on the ideas of the New Deal, right? So we all learned about that in school, and it's this visionary set of policies that were meant to get the U.S. economy back on track. So they're they're borrowing from that idea and saying, we need to get to a green economy. We need to be sustainable. We need to take climate change seriously and really move our country into the future, basically. And so they put those two concepts together and say, well, why don't we address the issue of climate change, but at the same time, put people back to work? Because we're going to need to upgrade our infrastructure and it's going to create all these new jobs. We need to make sure people are getting those jobs and getting trained for them. So it's really this massive visionary kind of policy idea. And my campaign team was like, we love that. We're going to cop that and make a Delaware version of it. So the idea for Delaware was, okay, well, how can we as a state push our state into the future, focus on sustainability, environmental justice, making sure that as we're advancing in the technology that we use, that we're bringing everyone with us and not just certain communities that tend to move into modern modern industries. So like some aspects of it, one of them ideas was the green bank. So when we talk about, you know, renewable energy, You've got solar, you've got wind, but in order for you to take advantage of those types of technologies, you have to have capital. 
So a lot of times folks that are able to do that and invest in solar panels on their roof, for example, and offset their energy costs are people that have a lot of money already. You know, you can think about the people you know who can afford to get a Tesla, right? And, and maybe charge it in their garage and people who can't. So the idea behind the Green Bank is what if the state puts together a pot of money where they can l lend money to communities so that they can take advantage of that. Maybe a community could borrow money from the state to put a solar farm into their neighborhood in the common space so that everybody can take advantage of that. And it'll help the state because we're going to be moving into a more sustainable way of, of energizing our communities. And they'll pay it back over time through the money that's saved. So the idea kind of is and, it, and, you know, this concept is the same with the Green New Deal, the federal one, is as we're moving into the future and we're modernizing our economy and our communities, we need to make sure everyone is a beneficiary of that and not just the 1%. Right. I mean, I've been saying this for a while. Addressing climate can be like the biggest economic boom our country's ever seen. And I think that is often dismissed probably intentionally by by certain people oh you mean ted cruz that maybe might be a name that comes to mind but no i mean what what do you say to people who who think you know like yeah retraining people and it, it they are huge steps and it is a huge transition and so obviously there's pros and cons to everything but like we have fires in california texas is frozen over like it's here it's happening this needs to be done yeah we will lose a lot of jobs but we'll also create a lot of jobs. So I don't know, how, how will that transition like play out? And I guess, how do you convince people and convince the masses really to get behind this, especially from an economic standpoint? Because like, let's be real, that's what most people care about these days, it seems like. The main thing I would stress is climate change is happening and we can either deal with it before it gets really bad or worse, the worst it will be. Or we cannot. And if, we, if we're proactive and visionary in our approach, then we can avoid situations like what's happening right now in Texas, where we're, we're winterizing equipment. We are, when we rebuild on our beaches, we're rebuilding in a way that's going to be resilient and not have to get completely gutted and rebuilt every time the floods come in. So like, it's, you, like you mentioned an economic mindset or like, philosophy around it like how do we make the economic argument I think the economic argument makes itself right because the cost of rebuilding the coast every single time that things flood the cost of all the damage that's happening in Texas I, I can only imagine how much damage is going to be done and that's not even talking about the human component I mean people have died are the fires like literal towns have been wiped out by a fire, like fires. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. So if we if we take that economic impact and calculate if we do nothing, you know, the cost of doing nothing far outweighs the cost of doing something. And people do say, okay, well, we're going to lose a lot of jobs and people are going to have to get retrained. Well, the same people make the argument all the time that the economy booms and busts. And, you know, every year, no matter what we do, Jobs are created and jobs are destroyed and people have to get retrained. And so instead of focusing on what's going to happen anyway, I think it's important that we focus on ways to make that transition easy for people. So, you know, we're not saying the Green New Deal isn't saying we're going to wipe out fossil fuels tomorrow and people just need to figure it out. No, they're, <laughs> they want to put money into training programs. They want to put money 
into helping people be a part of that green future and not get left out and left behind. Yeah, it's comprehensive for sure. And so, you know, it's really important, I think, for us to think about climate change, not just in like this like abstract kind of way, like, oh, the earth is getting warmer or whatever, the, the polar bears, but it's really people that live down the street from you and eventually it'll be you too. You know, Ted Cruz might be able to <laughs> get on a plane and like go to the beach and everybody else is struggling, but that's only going to work for so long. Like we're in it together. We're on the same planet. Yeah. I mean, you make so many good points moving forward to like, where do you see this legislation going and the future of the Green New Deal, especially under the lens of this new administration? Well, I'm hopeful. I think the Biden administration has taken up a lot of different parts of it, maybe not in name, because I think there is a perception that the idea, like the name of the Green New Deal is too out there or it's too controversial. So I think part of their strategy, just from the outside looking in, is we agree with what's in it, but we're not going to run it with that name just so that it does well. Yeah. And like, that's a win, I think, for progressives. If the policy happens, we don't need to get credit for it. I mean, if it if it helps people, it helps people. So I'm pretty optimistic. You know, environment, the environment and like protecting the environment was one of Joe Biden's first things that he was like focused on as a as a young senator. And they like thought he was kind of like a hippie because of it. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic. It's it's unfortunate because we're dealing with this pandemic. So if there's a major catastrophe that's a distraction from a lot of other issues that also need to be dealt with but they're just they seem a little bit less imminent so hopefully we can get the pandemic under control so we can solve the other issues that we're dealing with as well totally i i also just have a question to wrap up to i kind of want to know what, what your you know career goals are and your path is there any seats that you ideally would like to to take over one day what, what are you thinking that's a good question my aunt asked me that so like After I won the election, my family put together a Zoom celebration for like my family members to join and stuff. And my mom was like, so what's next? And I was like, oh, no, I just won. Like, (laughs) um, I get to figure out how to do this job. I don't know. So I'm probably going to be running for re-election for 2022. I won't say too much else, but I will say the more I'm in this world, the more I'm like, "Mm, we could be doing a better job in lots of ways yeah like I've got some <laughs> solutions here like beep beep move over yeah and like I think that's something that you know girls women we often talk ourselves out of doing things because you know there's that whole imposter syndrome where you're like am I really good enough am I really qualified enough do I really know how to fix this problem and I think the more you expose yourself to people that are decision makers and are making, they're making decisions on how to fix problems or, or exacerbate them in some cases, the more you're like, "Mm, maybe I should give that a try. (laughs) I mean, when you're in there, you realize like most of these people are idiots and they don't actually know what they're doing either. Right. But I, I mean, I love what you say. I love again, like that philosophy of like being like, I'm not an expert. And I think that's an important lesson for people to learn. We always are just advocating, push people who, you know, who you think could run for office. Like more people need to just like, consider it and like see it as maybe a possibility and again like you don't have to go to harvard law and like have all this crazy experience and be some political expert like everyday people can do this everyday people are supposed to do this so supposed to do this i love that 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 is key like one of the people and it's probably going to sound cliche but one of the people that inspired me to run was aoc because you know i saw her win a seat that 
nobody thought she could win but her team probably and I think if you look at the video of her winning I don't even know if she thought she was gonna win you know and she did it and she's going to DC to represent a huge like a lot of people <laughs> and whenever I would you know second guess myself I was as I was running the campaign I'm thinking okay she was a bartender and now she's in DC she's a congresswoman you really think you can't do this job? You're just representing like 10,000 people in a little part of Newark, Delaware. You can do it. She doesn't just like win and go to DC. Like she's the biggest political force I would say right now, period. She's an influencer, big time. Yeah, she's like, like besides maybe Nancy Pelosi, they all, it's always AOC. What does she think? What is she doing? She sets the tone. When you see somebody who has a similar background to you, a similar experience to you, succeeding in a way that you didn't think was possible it suddenly makes you think more like critically about what you think is possible and what's not and so I just hope that you know people people get some kind of inspiration from the story and get involved in their own way totally I'm inspired I'm inspired by you I'm inspired by people seriously seriously I like even just since doing this podcast we have interviewed like so many amazing young women too like young people please go run for office like we need representation for you know different generations as well and like I find it so inspiring before I did this podcast I was like I'll never run for all this but now it's like you see all these amazing women doing it it's like why not yeah and it's like you asked the question earlier about like what roles are there there's so many different things you can do to make the the policy changes that you want to happen happen like I didn't come up with my campaign platform alone that was a team effort and every single person that helped the campaign made the difference because in the end, I only won by 43 votes. And if I had known I was going to win by 43 votes before, I probably would have been a nervous wreck <laughs> for a year. I can, I definitely would have been stressed out. But it was really meaningful because when we found that out, like later on the night of the election, we recognized that every single person who helped our campaign made the difference. And every single person who voted counted. You know, sometimes when you think about voting, people are like, well, does my vote really count? Does it really matter? Your vote definitely matters. Like, that's crazy. I mean, I think that is like always a thing. I feel like every election, someone is like, eh, well, whatever. Like, my vote doesn't really count. I mean, that is literally the proof is in the pudding, especially at the local level. And I think your point also really connects with something we love to drive home, which is that like there is there are so many different positions for people at every level. And it's like, you don't have to be president of the United States to be involved in politics or to make change. Like there is so much and so many roles that are important. And a lot of them are local roles. Like time and time again, back to the affordable housing issue, like county elections, your mayor, all these different elections really matter. So I think it's really good to sort of just hear another perspective on that and how much that matters. Well, this has been great. We're so like thankful to have you on. I mean, you're awesome. Let's have you on again, please. Oh, we'd love to. You guys are fun. I love hanging out. But also, where can people like find you? And if you want to also plug, what was it? The the class and stuff like that. So I work at the Biden Institute. You can check us out at bidenschool.udel.edu slash Biden Institute. And if you scroll down a little bit, you can get on our our list so you can get updates on all our events and because of covid we're completely virtual and if you want to follow me you can follow me on instagram twitter facebook medina for de and four is spelled out yeah 
follow me. We can hang out. DM me if you have questions. But yeah, I'm just really, I'm really honored to be in, you know, on your show. This was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to next time. Okay, well, let's just slide right in to our top stories of the week. Number one story is <laughs> the one we've literally covered for the past, I want to say, month and a half. But it's about that COVID-19 relief package. So basically where we are at is the U.S. House of Representatives are taking up the Biden administration's $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill on Wednesday, so today, and officials said on Tuesday that the chamber's expected approval enabling Biden to sign the legislation into law later this week. So the passage of this just massive package is one of the biggest U.S. anti-poverty measures since the 1960s, which is amazing but basically this would give biden and the democrats who control congress a major legislative victory under their belt just two months into his presidency but basically you know the senate where democrats also have effective control passed its version of the bill on saturday after just a marathon overnight session you know let's get them some coffee a weekend a saturday and late at night they did it thank god But now the upper chamber of Congress eliminated some provisions in the original House bill. And we will get into this process in just a second, but bear with me. So including an increase in the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. So that got scrapped from the bill. And so the changes the Senate made must be approved by the House again before it can make its way to Biden's desk. So once the House comes back into session today, it will vote on the final passage of the COVID legislation. So the House will likely pass the bill. And then Biden said Monday that he will sign the the bill as soon as he gets it. And we actually have a question that was asked in our TikTok comments that I thought was a great question. And I just put the exact wording here because I just like love it. And it's just it's just accurate to the times and to how all of us speak, honestly. Can you literally explain? <laughs> like, this is what, like, makes my parents cringe every time they listen to our show. They're like, the literallys and the likes. Can you guys stop? I'm like, no, we all talk like this, and this is just deal with it. Thank you. Can you literally explain how a bill becomes a law through the lens of the current stimulus package? Because I'm so confused about reconciliation. Fantastic question. The process for the stimulus bill basically went like this. It started in the House. And, you know, they made all their amendments, they debated it, and then they passed it. Um, And then once it's passed in the House, it has to go to the Senate to then go through that same process. So they debated it, they made amendments, again, like, for example, that, you know, $15 minimum wage increase was proposed in the House, and now the Senate said no, so that got taken out. So now that it passed the Senate, it has to go back to the House to be approved by the house since it had changes to it. So the house also has to sign off on the final version of it. And then once both the Senate and the house have signed off on the same exact bill, then it goes to the president's desk to sign that ultimately becomes enacted into law. So reconciliation. So basically when it comes to a big bill like this has to do with the budget, typically have to have a 60 vote threshold in order to end the filibuster which 
we will actually get into the filibuster right next week with our guest but just a quick reminder of like what a filibuster is just very simply is it's basically like and any attempt to block or delay senate action on a bill or any other matter by debating it at length by offering like numerous procedural motions or just other things there have been some crazy like filibuster moments in the past like people literally reading green eggs and ham on the senate floor to avoid a vote on something and to just delay the process so like that's not a joke like that's actually happened Basically, the U.S. Senate voted 50 to 49 on Tuesday to advance the budget resolution, setting up a lengthy push to approve the $1.9 trillion bill requested by President Biden. So Republicans had already told Biden that they won't go that big in terms of what the $1.9 trillion number. The Republicans said, no, that's too much. But in an effort to seek bipartisanship, Biden actually had 10 Republicans come to the White House, uh, you know, a few weeks back to try and like compromise and come up with something so that, you know, those 10 people would sign off on the bill and that reconciliation didn't have to happen. But basically, they didn't agree. And then congressional Democrats were basically saying, okay, we're not going to let, you know, the possibility of bipartisanship get in the way of passing this much needed. COVID-19 relief bill. So reconciliation is like a decades old budget rule that is used to get around the 60 vote threshold so that they can end the filibuster and just pass legislation with a simple majority. So a simple majority is just like that 50 to 49 vote that it passed with. So again, reconciliation, it's a rule that was included when Congress like rewrote budget rules back in like 1974. And it basically said like the goal was to allow Congress to pass a new budget re- resolution with new spending priorities and like quickly pass legislation that reflects, you know, the needs of the moment. So especially now, this emergency situation, people are struggling, we're in a pandemic. So reconciliation was the move for Senate Democrats um, to pass this and to avoid just like a long standing filibuster. But in terms of this reconciliation, something to note too that's special about them using it is you can only use this once per budget. So once they use reconciliation for this, it's game over for anything else until the next budget is is drawn, right? So that just goes to show. It shows the weight of it and the weight of this bill and how crucial it is to kind of give perspective on, you know, the other side. Basically, zero Republicans voted to pass this this bill. And 70% of the country wants this bill including republicans a lot of republicans so their constituents want it but basically their ending argument is just that it's way too much money they don't feel that this amount of money needs to be spent right now and you know that's their that's their perspective on it and we kind of talked about this last week how there is a lot of political games though involved and how Sometimes both sides definitely do this. They just don't pass things or don't support things that the other party pushes out for political reasons because they want to win the next election. They don't want any the other party to have any wins under their belt. So there's also those aspects too. And I think the Republicans, there's a lot of that happening. And But again, like both sides do it and have done it in the past. But 
Your stimmies are on their way though. They're they're almost to you. We have kind of one more push here. And again, once Biden gets it, he's signing it. And you should be getting those stimmies soon. Get excited. Honestly, I just like love the word stimmy. Like I'll never stop saying it. I know. I guess we should move on to another story. So now that we've capped off that COVID story, we do have another one, of course, because like that is life and a pandemic. But this one is positive. Definitely positive. We like those vibes. So vaccinated Americans may gather indoors in small groups, but you still wear masks in public, according to the CDC. So the CDC issued a long-awaited bit of advice to Americans that are fully vaccinated, prayers, yes, against COVID-19, freeing them to take some liberties that the unvaccinated <laughs> should not, including gathering indoors in small groups without precautions, while still adhering to masking, and distancing in public spaces. But basically in practice, that means fully vaccinated grandparents may visit unvaccinated healthy adult children and healthy grandchildren of the same household without masks or physical distancing. But they did say that the visit should be local. So no travel happening. That doesn't mean, okay, now hop on a plane from Idaho and get yourself to North Carolina. However, if your grandparents live in the town over, this new rule, is gonna change a lot. It's totally for you. So basically as cases and deaths decline nationwide, some state officials are rushing, like rushing to reopen businesses and schools. So although federal health officials have repeatedly, this like a parent, like repeatedly, like getting annoyed level, warned against loosening restrictions too quickly, you know, fearing that moves may set the stage for a fourth surge of infections and deaths, so Wyoming's governor said literally on Monday he would lift the state's mask mandate, move made by the governors of Texas and Mississippi in recent days as well. That also goes after people being protesters, burning masks at the Capitol in Idaho. So there has been a lot of sort of protest and push for these restrictions to loosen. So of course, I think as we see more people vaccinated, there will only be more of these situations happening. But regardless, to focus on the positive here, because there are a lot of different directions we could take this, being vaccinated really opens the door to being able to reconnect socially, especially with the ones that you love. And that is huge, especially for so many people that have been isolated by themselves for the last year. Things are looking up and I think it's just like patience. We have like a few more months of this kind of like purgatory of numbers being good, but not knowing when fully things will open up. So we've stuck it out this long. Like we might as well, you know, wait a little bit longer until we fully know that we're in the clear. I mean, I think just this debate though of restrictions, like we can go on forever. I think there's a lot of things that are really stupid about some restrictions that are placed as far as especially on small businesses and the way they are allowed to function and the frustration. That's where the frustration lies usually is like just the lack of leadership or just like communication from leadership. But the one thing that is a constant, that is the easiest thing to do is to wear a mask. Yet we have some states lifting that mandate it's just unnecessary at this point like wear a mask it's so darn easy like I just don't I don't get it but nevertheless we will move on to our final story it's just a little announcement because Biden will deliver a primetime address on Thursday and that will actually mark the first anniversary of the pandemic in the U.S. so that's also wild that we are now like 
about to hit this anniversary and it's just like that reflection time being like where was I what was I doing what was I thinking and I still like I still can feel those feelings like I remember like being here in my kitchen like with my parents like do we need to go like to the grocery store and get every canned item that there is so yeah weird weird times to reflect on but basically President Biden will deliver this is the first primetime address of his presidency so on thursday again marking just the one year since the adoption of sweeping measures to deal with the coronavirus we have now surpassed 525,000 americans who have lost their lives to coronavirus and obviously a battered economy so definitely tune in but that is actually it for this week Okay, so before you guys go, we have a really great organization that we want to introduce you to, and that organization is the GAP Project. So what is the GAP Project? It is a data-driven grassroots consortium connecting young people with political campaigns on the local, state, and national level. So they have developed an intuitive quiz for young people and campaigns that assess each party's values, interests, demographics, and creates a match based upon their algorithm. The GAP Project places young people, that's you, me, and everyone else, as remote volunteers on political campaigns of all kinds across the United States. The GAP Project mobilizes Generation Z and millennials to engage with the political system, take constructive action to get their voices heard, and most importantly, to vote. The organization is shaping a representative and equitable America and providing Gen Z and millennials with a pipeline into politics. So make sure to check them out if you are on campus right now and you have some extra time and you would love to get involved with a campaign, I highly, highly recommend the GAP Project. They will help you out. You'll take that quiz. They'll connect you with a campaign that really meets what you're looking for and they'll help you take it from there. Check out the GAP Project. Check out Soli Sisterhood. Follow us on Instagram. Sign into our DMs with questions. Let us know any feedback you have about the show and what you'd like to see from it and what you'd like to get out of it follow us on tiktok now like shout out to our 50,000 followers on tiktok so crazy subscribe rate review if you haven't left a review yet and you're new here let us know what you think but as always we'll be talking to you guys next wednesday Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.